0: The Euros are here And on today's show It may actually be coming home After England reached their first final since 1966 Italy suffered a performance dip But they did just enough to reach the final winning on penalties Where will the final be won and lost? The end of the show quiz Plus... Our top five players at the Euros, that's your roundup this week. Hello and welcome to The Euros Are Here. As always, I'm joined by Johan Aslet. Thanks for having me on, Dil. And once again for the Euros, we're joined by Jack Knight. An absolutely brilliant week for you, Jack, I can imagine.
1: Yes, I'm over the moon. Thanks for having me on.
0: (laughs) So straight to your moments of the week. And Yos, what was your moment of the past footballing week?
2: OK, so my moment of the week was Jorginho's last penalty kick, successful penalty kick for the Italians. And that penalty, with his obviously iconic run-up, as we all know, uh, saw Italy progress to the first major final in 15 years. And Jorginho specifically has been a player, perhaps his general contribution has been underappreciated. So come come Sunday right now, I truly think he could be capable in manipulating the game in his favour, and we'll have to see come Sunday. But I truly believe that Italy have the potential to go and win, and we have to hope so, of course.
0: <laughs> and Jack, is there even any point asking you what your moment of the week is? Uh, No, there isn't
1: at all. You know what it is. It's yeah, amazing. I can't believe it hasn't really sunk in yet,
0: but we'll see what happens on Sunday. Yeah, and we'll start off with that England win against Denmark. And just before we get into Johan's usual scepticism of England, Jack, we have to give you your moment. And what a great moment it was for every English fan after the disarray and all the disappointment of the national team in recent years. This is about time, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is indeed. When we played that first game against Croatia, um, there was no way I would envisage us being in the final of this tournament Um Gareth Southgate has proved everybody wrong with his selection, with his tactics, even if if at times they've looked a bit wiry but you've got to realise they're playing teams that are very good in high pressure competitions football is not just about the tactics it's about dealing with the pressure overcoming adversity and winning football games however you can and they have done that every single time one goal from open play not even from open play it was a dead ball um, over the moon with the team and at the start of the tournament I was very
0: critical and I'm so glad I'm eating my words right now So, Joze, what did you make of the England performance as a whole? Despite Denmark's lackluster display in the second half, they caused England plenty of problems in the first with their energy and counter-attacking threat.
2: Well, I think, like many of England's first-half displays, at least for me personally, I was slightly underwhelmed. I thought Denmark successfully tamed England's kind of greater prospects. And on the whole, I believe they had the better chances With England obviously going forward the back, committing more bodies forward, I thought they kind of capitalised on those opportunities uh, pretty well. Obviously then comes second half, it was a whole different dynamic as you mentioned, it was a lackluster performance um, from Denmark, they were a shell of the first half, the pressure was just absolutely not there, and to be honest... It was just almost as if they kind of went in with a mentality, let's try and see this through with the draw, come in extra time, and inevitably it just wasn't really sustainable, and that was pretty much the story of the game, so of course I can go on and scrutinise a lot more of what England did and how well they played come second half, but when you have a team that has dropped back as defensive as they did, they were always going to dominate, and they did, they won the game, so... Perhaps I should be congratulating them, but I think it's fair to say that it was a pretty easy second half to try and dispatch of, so
0: oh you can kind of interpret Lord. that how you
2: want, but I guess congratulations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, Johan mentioned there yeah. about Denmark's lacklustre performance in the second half, but was that down to England and the way they showed composure in the second half? They were quite nervous, weren't they, in the first half? Lack of quality at times, lack mm-hmm. of composure, but in the second half, they were all over Denmark. What do you think that was as a result of?
1: I think it's a combination of England getting their heads screwed on. Uh, I reckon halfway through the first half they were like, "Right, we need to get a grip here." The pressure was too much. Like the like the average age of that team on that pitch was like twenty-two years old. Like you've got to cut them some slack. None of them have really played in any, any of these um, kind of high-pressure, high-high-stakes games, especially in the midfield. Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. They play for West Ham and Leeds. They've not experienced big nights in the Champions League or anything like that. So I'm not surprised it took them a little while to get into the game. But once they did, they got a foothold on the game. And I think that was really important going into the second half. And then going forward through that, I think Denmark made far too many subs too quickly. I think that having five subs is is a really good idea for teams. It obviously minimises injuries. But um. It can disrupt a team massively if you bring on that many subs in a short space of time. And I think that, with the combination of them just running out of steam, was just too much
0: for them. And I just can't believe we've gone five minutes on the podcast without mentioning Sterling's penalty.
2: Well, I've always said I've been pretty consistent on this. I think there was one angle from the back of the incident which, at least for me, made it absolutely blatant. You could see the fact that he was seeking the dive before there was any minimal contact. So I don't believe it constituted a penalty. I don't understand this, just why it even is a subject of controversy. For me, it's just absolutely not a penalty. He's seeking for it all day. And when you have VAR and all the facilities they have, for them to still not deem that a worthy penalty, it just really kind of validates the claim that there has to be major reform.
1: Well, as we were just saying off air before we came on, it was it was very soft, and it was if it was given against us, I'd be obviously fuming, but I'll just play devil's advocate because it's fun. Sterling's running at, r- running at him very fast in that box, and if you get clipped running very fast, you're very likely to fall over, and that is what happened. I don't think he was... He dived, so to speak. He felt contact and went down. I think there's a difference between diving and feeling contact and going down. You've seen many times in this tournament alone, players getting kicked in the box, not going down and not given a penalty. So, swings and roundabouts, but I will agree with you on this one. It
0: probably shouldn't have been a penalty. Thank you. I think if we're talking about the first (laughs) penalty shout with Kane, I think there was enough contact there, potentially for a penalty. And if the referee had given it, it wasn't clear and obvious enough to go around the other way was it but that sterling one i honestly cannot see the contact there so i'm really surprised when it went to var that they didn't overturn that decision it's an interesting one but also i really
1: don't like how it obviously looks a hundred million times worse when you slow it down to 0.5 frame rate of what it is (laughs)
2: <laughs> it mean, come on jack come on give me a break here i'm, I'm sorry not... yes i understand there are certain instances to which you can say that it's been manipulated by obviously them slowing the game down The in- but for me you could clearly see he was seeking to jump over his leg before there was any contact you could see that there was not enough to bring him down period and to be honest the reason why i'm not as aggravated as i was yesterday because on reflection you were clearly the better team and as mentioned previously with dylan you perhaps should have had a penalty with Kane, so perhaps it evens it out. But specifically speaking about that instant, it just was in no way a penalty. And I just think Sterling remains in denial to this day.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm sure you can have that, but I've watched Frank Lampard score and not be this loud one that was five yards over the line so I don't think any England fan cares and you need luck to win these tournaments I think you can go through every tournament in the history of international football and the winning team is going to have some sort of ridiculous luck at some point so it is what it is.
0: So in just a bit we'll discuss whether it is actually coming home for England but just before we do let's discuss England's opponents in the final Italy. And what did you make of Italy's performance as a whole, yos? Despite their penalty shootout win, would you agree that Spain were the more superior team for most of the match?
2: I think that's a fair analysis. I think Spain had the more goal-scoring opportunities and seemed the greater team in possession. Um, but as we witnessed, they remained very vulnerable in the attack. As we witnessed, obviously, when women playing that high line, players such as Insigne were having a lot of joy passing the ball in beyond. And even though they had the more opportunities, I think Italy probably had the greater opportunities. And hence why perhaps they saw they see, kind of seen the game off in the end. I think Spain, to be honest, they actually really exceeded my expectations. I was really not expecting that performance. They were really doing a lot of damage to that stable Italian defense and to be honest that game easy could have been manipulated in their favor if they took their chances and as we witnessed on the rumor the goalkeeper who has indisputably been the greatest goalkeeper throughout this process looked very kind of substandard at times and it was really surprising he made basic errors in many occasions and to be honest as I as I just mentioned to you before that game easily could have been in Spain's favor if things didn't turn out well but obviously come penalty shootouts Let's be honest, with the players, the Italians, had it was always destined to be theirs.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Donnarumma there, and despite at times looking a little bit shaky when Morata was running through on goal, he went down, committed, didn't he? Far too early, which meant it was an easy mm-hmm. pass into the corner from Morata. However, in the penalty shootout, Donnarumma showed his character, his courage, and with some key penalty saves in that penalty shootout, that then gave the opportunity for Jorginho to take that winning penalty for Italy. But Jack, why do you think Italy struggled to stamp their authority on the match? Was it due to tiredness, Spinozola being injured perhaps, or simply down to Spain's game plan? I think it, I think maybe
1: from what I saw, the the midfield three of Italy got bullied by Spain's in the middle. I think most of the game was centred around who could win that battle in the middle with Italy's midfield three. They won the ball back so many times and then Busquets was just getting the ball and passing it straight forward and Italy were under pressure again but obviously we know how good Italy are at defending when the ball was in front of them and they they showed that resolve in that game just to see it through but I think, yeah, as you said, Spain had more than enough chances to, to score and potentially not make it go through to extra time but they just couldn't do it and yeah... It fills me with much more confidence watching that game than it did watching the Belgian game, because when I watched the Belgian game I was like, okay, these, these guys can really play. But the the Spain goal, the way they just passed through them and walked past the defence was quite encouraging for me, and as amazing as Benucci and Chiellini are, if you can get them running towards their own goal, they are on toast every single time, because
0: they are so slow and old. So looking at the final now, and where this final will be won and lost, you've just mentioned there, Jack, about Benucci and Chiellini, and we've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, the lack of pace they possess at the back. And if England can get the ball into Kane's feet, with the likes of Saka and Sterling running off him, that could be England's potential route to victory, couldn't it, Joes?
2: Well, yeah, I I was actually intending on speaking on the exact same points Jack was. The biggest vulnerability for Italy obviously remains the midfield. It's not the most mobile midfield, as we witnessed in a few of the games, particularly against Austria and Spain. And for me, when you have players like Mason Mount, who are incredibly vibrant and with Kane dropping deep, I think there's a real good opportunity for England to perhaps even claim the game, manipulate that whole control in the kind of middle section of the pitch and that I think is the route to victory for England they have to dominate the possession they have to be absolutely resolute there and that's where I think they're going to win I don't think they can beat them purely just by beating the better team offensively because I just don't think England really have the defensive capabilities to withstand what they have so we'll have to see I think now it really comes down to what team he plays in the midfield, who he selects, and we'll have to just see what happens. I don't think he's going to make any changes, though, unfortunately, which I think is going to be consequential.
0: So after that win for Italy against Spain, Jack, are you now full of confidence heading into that match due to the Italians' pretty lackluster win? Or would you look at it from the standpoint that the resilience displayed by the Italians makes them an even bigger obstacle to face in the final?
1: Well, I think after watching that game, I truly do think it's a 50-50 game. Anything can happen. It's not as, I didn't ever think it was going to be one-sided, but I thought Italy might have the edge going into the game. But I I think it truly is a 50-50 game now. I think Phillips and Rice in the midfield can press high, bully the midfield and win the ball back. Calvin Phillips ran 15 kilometres last night, by the way. 11% of the whole team. That is absolutely ridiculous. And I think just having that, power in midfield to retrieve the ball off those three technical midfielders but not very strong not very physical midfielders could really be the the saving grace going into the final so yeah it's going to be a really interesting one I think I think England are going to press high early and we'll see
0: what resolve Italy have then because Yo you mentioned England's midfield with and without possession on last week's podcast uh- and we mentioned how there was too much space between the lines at times in their match against Germany to exploit. So is that an area of concern for England heading into this final?
2: Well, absolutely. And that is why, what well, at least a contributing reason for why I'm not as confident in England as perhaps I really should be. I truly believe the better befitting for him would to introduce someone like Henderson to play throughout, someone who's more disciplined and perhaps more intelligent in terms of off-possession play. I think that's absolutely required in order for them to win. As we witnessed against Germany, there was so many occasions to which... Obviously, he would commit forward as part of the attacking four, leaving so much space in behind. And Havertz was finding a lot of joy there. They have to try and nullify that space. I don't think Phillips can accommodate that. So I think if he is to play, the chances are getting slimmer for England, in my opinion, almost immediately. So we'll have to see. But I think Henderson is an absolute must in order to thrive in this game.
0: Because you mentioned the 15 kilometres there, Jack, that Calvin Phillips ran in the match against Denmark. But I would argue... Is that whole 15 kilometres really necessary? Because I watched in the first half of the match against Denmark, I watched Phillips really closely. And at times, he can get away with it, especially when he's got the midfield three. He can push forward and it's great. He can become a part of the pressure. But at times, the likes of Damsgaard were finding the pockets of space. And Denmark, at times, managed to exploit those, possibly not as much as of course the denmark fans would have liked but is that an area of concern for you jack as well well you probably know i'm the biggest
1: jordan henderson advocate probably on this planet yeah. um so i would obviously love love to see him play but i think at this point it's, it's not going to be that it's going to be calvin phillips and i do agree that sometimes he does get he almost gets a bit too excited and is wanting to join in with the attack up top So it will be really interesting whether um, Southgate tells him to keep his discipline or he thinks, right, I really need to make sure I'm holding the fort in this midfield here because I don't think he'll break the partnership of Rice and Phillips now. I think it's um, too late to do that. And to be honest, I'm okay with that. I think Henderson is a really great addition if you're winning or losing at 60 minutes, 70 minutes to either tie up or to help, help ramp up the pressure. So I'm happy with it, I think.
0: The battle that I'm looking forward to see in this match from a personnel point of view is of course Spinozola's out injured for this match, isn't he? And Emerson's going to take mm. his place in that left back position for Italy defensively. But when Italy have the ball, that left back, he's responsible for becoming their winger. And Emerson at times, he's good going forward. He can of course, he can't quite do the role to the same effect has been at Zola. But defensively, Emerson's a liability. And think back to what Sterling did against Myler and Larsen in Wednesday's game against Denmark. Imagine Sterling running at Emerson. If England can create those 1v1s. Could that be an interesting battle to look out for?
1: Yeah, it definitely could. I think it's probably an area that they're going to look at and exploit because Sterling last night was electric he would get the ball and run at players and they really didn't really know what to do with him and he would always get into positions to shoot or pass to someone that was going to shoot I mean Sterling's shooting can be erratic at times so that's why he um, probably doesn't have as many goals as he should but um, I think that's somewhere really interesting that they could look to exploit especially with Luke Shaw bombing past him as well I think he could be in all sorts of trouble Emerson he could be in a in a tizzy, whilst Shaw's crossing the ball into Harry Kane's head, so it could be a really an interesting one.
0: We'll discuss our predictions for the Euros final later on, in the podcast. But now, guys, a big debate: your top five players at this summer's Euros, and I've really been looking forward to see where this conversation goes. And we'll start with you, yos, with your list from five to three.
2: Well, first of all, I just want to say, I mean, this has been one dilemma. I think that's the very easy word kind of to say it. I mean, I don't think there's been one standout performance. I just think you have to base it purely on consistency. So for fifth, I went for Schick. I think for the team that Czech Republic are, the impact he's managed to have on them, scoring a lot of goals and great goals, great standard of goals. I think he warrants that fifth place. I think if he happened to be privileged in a better team, perhaps he would have been a lot more instrumental. So I've gone... Fifth, I've gone for Schick. Fourth is going to be, I think, a bit more of a contentious one. I've gone for Lukaku.
0: Ooh, interesting. Um, the
2: only reason why I did it... I was really impressed by him, obviously, in the group stage. He got a lot of goals and was the reason, frankly, how Belgium actually managed to be as good as they were. The only issue is, as you would... I'm guessing one of you is to mention, that obviously, the standard of the opponents isn't particularly high. But I still think he manages to claim fourth purely because I generally don't know who else you can really put up there in terms of the attacking threats. I was considering Benzema, but obviously they went out in the last 16, so it's not really a viable argument for him. So I've gone Lukaku fourth and third, and I say this absolutely begrudgingly, but I think you're going to have to go with Raheem Sterling. I think perhaps it's a fair thing to say, as I've been mentioning throughout this podcast... In the group stages, he perhaps was disappointing. He could have done a lot better. And although he got, obviously, the two goals, I think almost anybody could have had a parallel impact, whether it would have been Sancho or Grealish, if they would have been privileged to play as much as him. But nonetheless, I think he's been pretty well. He's been consistent throughout. He hasn't had a bad game. And he's grown into every single game that he's played. So for me, I think without Sterling, especially with Kane's form in that group stage, they would have been struggling a lot. So... I think Sterling has to claim that third position. And obviously now with the performance yesterday, that's pretty much established really as him being one of the better players. So yeah, that's what what my five to three is.
0: Yeah, with Sterling, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because throughout the group stage, although I didn't feel his performances were up to the standards that potentially Grealish would have displayed if he had started or Sancho... He was still scoring key goals, wasn't he, at key times. And that performance against Denmark was sublime, as we mentioned previously. And I'm really looking forward to see Sterling's performance in the final. But Lukaku, yo, that's a really surprising choice. Jack, have you got Lukaku in your list from five to three? No, not a chance.
1: (laughs) I mean, he's had a good tournament, but at number five, I've gone for Denmark's Dansgaard. I think he's... Sat on the sidelines watching Christian Eriksen tear it up for the last few years and he probably hasn't really got a look in. And obviously after the tragedy that happened in the first group game for them, he's come onto the pitch, stepped up to the plate and um, performed very well in that creative role. So that's why he's in there at number five for me. Number four, I've got my England-tinted glasses on as I do this. And okay, I know I'm going to get a massive IRO, IRO from Yeo here. But I've gone for Harry Kane at four, just Ooh, for the fact that he
0: scored... Really? Yeah, really. Didn't score oh, a goal in the group stage, and he was awful.
2: I knew he was going to go multiple English players. Harry Kane was not one. I was convinced you were going to go Phillips.
1: Interesting. Well, I've only
2: done it because he's. He, for me, he's scored
1: really, really important goals at really important times in a semi-final against Germany. So that's why he's in. I know it's a bit contentious, but he's.
2: It was he, a rebound. You know, let's just clarify
1: that. <laughs> yeah, well, he still hit the back of the net, and he.
2: Any decent goalkeeper saves that.
1: Well, he didn't, though, did he? So, and we're in a final, and you're out. So. <laughs> well,
2: no, he, he should have. He should have saved it. And apart from that, I didn't think he did anything. Oh, I thought he had a really good game yesterday, actually. He 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 got the ball. Really good game. He got mad at the
1: match. Really? Harry Kane? Yeah, I know. Oh, it was Sterling? I know.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised Sterling didn't get it yesterday. He was brilliant for most of the game, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I agree. But that's, that's how it works. And then Swift moving on from that before... <laughs> Johan has a meltdown. Will, I went for um, Jorginho at three because I think he's been very influential in the middle of the park for Italy several games at this tournament. So that's my five to three.
0: Okay, so in my list from five to three, I've gone for Patrick Schick as well, like Johan in fifth. He scored five goals at the Euros for the Czech Republic. For me, he's got to be in the top five just for that, to be honest. And then in fourth place, Donnarumma for Italy, of course, fantastic performances throughout these Euros in goals as I mentioned earlier the penalty shootout as well he's made key saves throughout the tournament for Italy in the quarter-final win against Belgium and of course some other key saves especially in the Austria game which went into extra time of course and then in third place I as well have got Raheem Sterling in my list and We've had lots of debates about Sterling, haven't we, over recent weeks and whether somebody else like Grealish or Sancho would be better suited to start. But there's no debating the performance of Sterling against Denmark. He was outstanding, wasn't he? So that's why he's in third place, as well as his performances against Ukraine and the key goals he scored at the group stage. So just before we move on to the top twos of our list was there anyone else in particular who came close to getting into your top five list guys
2: I think this is the only tournament I can really say that there hasn't really been an absolute great performance in any game and so that was kind of why I kind of went for people like Lukaku and I actually was considering going for Ronaldo to be honest okay because Because he got five goals, and I'm just looking at the impact he had. I don't think he was privileged to have a lot of service, so as far as I'm concerned, I think he perhaps could have gone in... Well, he at least was a contender, he didn't get in top five, but is someone who should have been brought up. So, honestly, I perhaps should have gone for Jorginho. He's the biggest one, but, you know, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, so in my top five list, I was pretty close to sticking in Mela, the left wing back for Denmark. But the way that Sterling was just running past him yesterday, as if he wasn't even there, I could not have him in my top five, just because of that, to be honest, despite the key goals he scored and the energy he's displayed in that left wing-back position for Denmark. Another player I was considering was Thomas Delaney for Denmark. He's been consistent throughout the tournament. Dominant in the midfield alongside Hoybier. Very comfortable in possession of the ball as well. And then finally, another player I was considering was... Kevin De Bruyne, I've said how many times I love Kevin De Bruyne, but of course he's had that injury heading into the Euros. And with Belgium going out in the quarter stage, I just don't think he's had enough time to get in the top five. What about Luke Shaw? Because he played really well against Ukraine, didn't he, of course. And then against Germany, I actually was calling for him to be subbed off. For Chilwell in that wing-back position, but then, of course, the last 30 minutes, he actually started to push forward and he started to show he's actually got some quality in the final third with his crossing and picking out some great balls. But I think based off of one performance to have him in your top five, I think that's a bit of a stretch.
2: Mm. I was just going to say, because obviously me and you were so obviously in favour of Chilwell starting given the system they were playing. Would you say now, with Luke Shaw's performances, that's changed your opinion in terms of he should now be the starting player for them?
0: I said the whole time. If you're playing a back four, it's Luke Shaw, undoubtedly. Yeah, He's got greater defensive characteristics, hasn't he? But in a back five, has Luke Shaw got the energy to push forward throughout the game? I'm not too sure. So I think I'd still be edging towards Chilwell, who of course, was in the Champions League winning team, if you haven't forgot. I think a lot of people have forgot that, haven't they? It feels like ages ago, that Champions League final. It does. (laughs) On to the top two now, guys, of our lists. And we'll start with Jack. Who's in your top two? Number two, I've
1: gone for Italy's Chiesa. I think he's been really influential Ooh. in this tournament. He's scored some really, really important a couple of goals. And I think he's just been a really influential winger. Every time he gets the ball on the edge of the box, it looks like it's going to end up in the corner of the goal. His strike rate on the edge of the box is insane. And I think he's just been a very welcome addition to that Italy team. And I think going forward, it's a, he's going to be a very influential player for Italy.
0: That's a good shout, Chiesa. So who's in that number one position then, Jack?
1: Probably guess already by uh, the fact I haven't said it, but it has to be Raheem Sterling for me. Being English and all that, he's literally been in, involved in every single goal that we have scored, either the pre assist or the assist itself. He's been in, involved in some stage of the, the build up to the goal. He's been electric, especially since we've got other group. So for me, again, I'm eating my words. I didn't really like him going into the tournament, obviously, with the history of Liverpool. I think he only scores tap ins and all that kind of stuff. So even though I am an England fan, he's number one. For me to put him at number one,
0: is a pretty big step for me. So that's what I've done there. (laughs) I think for a Liverpool fan to put Sterling as his number one just emphasises how brilliant Sterling has been at this summer's Euros. When we've done our starting 11s for England pre-tournament, none of us had Sterling in our teams, did we? Nope. Because of his lack of quality performances for Manchester City, his lack of game time heading into the Euros. But... The trust that Southgate has put in Sterling has come to the fore and has got England to the Euros final. However, as I said earlier, it would have been interesting to see if the likes of Grealish and Sancho had the game time that Sterling has had, whether they would have been able to produce the same calibre or potentially even better performances than Sterling. So, yos, who's in your top two? Performers at this summer's Euros.
2: Okay, so second for me is Donna Ruma. And just to clarify, you know, I know there are players that perhaps could be in this position on the list, but for me, the metric was consistency. There's been no other dependable goalkeeper throughout this process than him. And not to reiterate what you've been saying earlier, but the fact that, you know, he was the reason why they obviously won the penalty shootout. I mean, he's just been absolutely sublime throughout. And for me, I think it was only really last game where he actually started to kind of display some flaws. So if it wasn't for that, perhaps he could be contending for first place. So I've gone him second purely because of his consistency and just dependability in those vulnerable areas, especially when it comes to penalty shootouts. So I've gone him second. And first, I went for Spinozola. As far as I'm concerned, every game he's played, he's been at least a seven or eight hour ten. And you take a look at the impact he has on that side when he's playing to when he's not playing. You know, in terms of when they're obviously in possession offensively, they're not the same team as they are when he is playing. And for me, that is just a testament to just the type of player he is. Incredibly flexible, very just adaptable. He's very good defensively and offensively. He provides that greatest structure to them. So for me, I've got to go him first.
0: Spinazzola, he's been a huge player for Italy at the Euros. And it was a huge loss with him getting injured in that match. ...against Belgium in the quarter-finals... ...and of course he'll be a huge loss... ...for Italy... ...against England on Sunday... ...in the Euros final... ...and in second place in my list... ...I've got Jorginho... ...I think we've already mentioned... ...how consistent his performances have been... ...the composure he displays in possession... ...is outstanding... ...his defensive awareness as well... ...that's been shown and emphasised for Chelsea... And he's just continued this form with the Italian team. And they are in a great position now to go on and win the Euros. And like Yos, I as well have got Spinazzola on the top of my list. I think he's been absolutely superb. And Yos, you mentioned there's been no standout performers. Mm. I would argue if you looked at Spinazzola's performances in every single match for Italy, he has been outstanding as much as he's been outstanding defensively, blocking that shot on the line against Lukaku, going forward as well with two assists and the amount of chances he's created for the likes of Insigne, Chiesa, and Immobile, through just the pure energy and dynamism to get forward at key times.
2: Not to mitigate everything you just said, you know, and that's the reason why I got him first. But the the only thing I would say is the fact that you know he is a wing back. And of course, when you think of the better players of people who obviously establish themselves happen to be in those more offensive positions. And that was the only reason why I said there's been no standout performer, because we have to resort to a wingback being the best player. For me, that just kind of shows just the lack of quality that's been on display throughout the process.
0: Yeah, I would argue, though, that he's basically a winger for Italy in possession And the fact he's got that ability from those fullback positions to then get into those advanced positions for Italy, I just think that's emphasised and shown how effective Spinazzola is when he's firing like he has for Italy. We'll move on now, guys, to the end of the show quiz. And with England getting to the final, if this is the only time we ever do a quiz based on England... This is probably the right time, isn't it? So, name the players who have scored four or more goals for England at a major tournament. So there's nine players who have scored four or more goals for England at either the Euros or the World Cup. And you've got 30 seconds to name them. Off you go.
1: Oh my god, I've had a massive... Brain fart <laughs>
0: Um
2: I'm actually struggling with this. hmm me too. I feel there's gonna be a lot of unexpected people in this list.
0: Okay, so final five seconds. Five four Three,
1: two, one. That is poor for me.
2: Really poor. Yeah, I've not done well on this at all, to be honest. Okay, so we'll
0: come to you, Yos, first. Who have you got in your list?
2: All right, so there's only really three people on my list who I'm very confident have actually accomplished what you've just said there, scoring four or more. So I've gone for Wayne Rooney. Yep. Yeah. Alan Shearer. Yeah. Harry Kane.
0: Yeah, he scored 10 goals now following that penalty against
2: Denmark. Gary Lineker.
0: Yes, yeah, so Gary Lineker is joint top on 10 goals with Harry Kane.
2: I've gone for a gamble with this one. I've gone for David Beckham.
0: Oh, so no. David Beckham isn't in this list. So you've got four so far, yos.
2: I've gone for Kevin Keegan. That's another gamble of mine.
0: No, no, Kevin Keegan.
2: Oh <laughs> gosh. Okay. Um, John Barnes.
0: No, John Barnes. I think you're struggling here, yos.
2: Gascoigne. Surely.
0: <laughs> no. So Jack. Oh my God. Did you get those four?
1: I've only written five down, Okay, but I think the fifth one I've written down is going to get me the win, and I've got Lineker, Shearer, Kane and Rooney.
0: Yes, you've got those four.
1: And then my fifth is Michael Owen.
0: Yes, so Michael Owen is in this list with six goals. Alan Shearer's got the nine, and Wayne Rooney's got seven goals at major tournaments for England. Okay, so any other ideas, guys?
2: Jeff Hurst, what about him? Yeah, that's a good shout.
0: Jeff Hurst, you've pulled it back right at the death, Yos. He's on this list. Yeah. With, Joint with Michael Owen on six goals for England at major tournaments. Stevie G? Stephen Gerrard, Oh, he's just oh. got it back. Right at the death. He's oh on this God. list with exactly four goals. So there's two players missing now, guys, that you haven't got so far.
2: Are they more modern or? One of these
0: guys is a legend of a big English club. Bobby Charlton. Bobby Charlton. Yes, that's right.
2: Oh God. All right. He's got five
0: goals for England at major tournaments. And then the final one, I'm not even going to bother going back and forth because we could be here all day. (laughs) David
2: Platt. David I was literally, I promise you, I was thinking of him. I promise you.
0: Why would you be thinking of David Platt? I know, he says this every single week. I was he thinking of him. He's a goal scorer for Arsenal.
2: <laughs> I actually was, I promise
0: you. are always thinking of these guys, Yos, but you never come out with the names.
2: What are you talking about? I was class last week. <laughs> That's a big victory. Big, big victory.
0: So Jack has won that right... At the death with some great shouts there. So, on to now the matches to look out for over the next week. And we've got two huge finals to look forward to in the early hours of Sunday morning, the Copper America final between Arch enemies, Brazil against Argentina. That's going to be a great match to look out for. And of course, on Sunday evening, the Euros final. England against Italy. And just before we finish, we couldn't end this podcast without your score predictions, guys, for this match. And we'll start with you, Yos. Will England bring it home?
2: Unfortunately, no. The suspense (laughs) awaits as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win for Italy. I think it's going to be a highly close, cagey game. And They kind of both have their own kind of similar flaws. But I just think they're going to have that composure. They have the experience in defence. And I think that will just prove vital. So I'm going to go 2-1. Do
0: you agree with Jo and Jack?
1: Uh, Weirdly enough, no. Um, (laughs) I'm
2: going to go for a
1: 2-1 England win. I think it's going to be pretty similar to the Denmark game last night. I think Italy might take the lead. We might have to come back. It's going to be really, really tricky to score a goal. I think it could go through to extra time. And I think we might just have the legs and the squad depth to maybe get it done.
0: Yeah, so I've asked you both for your predictions. And now, as always, I'm going to have to give mine. And I really don't want to because I really don't know how this is going to pan out. I'm really on the fence here. But I'm just edging slightly towards... (laughs) For some reason, I just think England are going to do it. Yes, come on. (laughs) I think what it is is what we mentioned earlier with Harry Kane. You look at what Morata did against Italy when he came off the bench. The one time that Spain got the ball into Morata's feet, he turned, ball into Olmo, Mm. straight through the heart of the defence, the ball around the corner. And I'm just thinking with Kane dropping in off the front, with Saka and Sterling running beyond him, I just think England will be able to get the win due to the lack of pace with Benucci and Chiellini at the back but who knows
2: it's true though Dylan really hit the nail on the head it is hard to predict It is. it really really is is hard to predict how it's going to unfold the thing is everything technically is in England's corner they have the advantage they have the home crowd it's in Wembley but I just think you could bottle it I just think there's going to be some form of defensive error with the distribution and they'll just capitalise I think you'll be the better team but I don't know I just have a feeling Italy will just somehow get a win Donnarumma made three horrendous pot with his feet. He was
1: terrible. couldn't believe what yeah. I was watching.
0: Because, yeah, if you asked me before this week, I probably would have had Donnarumma higher up my list. But as you said, his distribution mm. was really dodgy against Spain. And also, as I said earlier, the chance where Murata was running through and he just committed way too easy, way too early. Well, he committed one way, Lack didn't he? Lack of composure display, yeah. wasn't it? Pickford. I wouldn't be much more confident with him, to be honest. But... Uh, Yeah, either way, it's going to be a great match though, isn't it? And I'm really looking forward to it. That's all we've got time for this week on The Euros Are Here. Thanks to Joze, thanks to Jack, and we'll see you next Friday evening. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.